I was on Instagram last night, late last night, and uh, I saw a post from a guy that I know in Warringstown where I used to be a minister. It's not this building because this was pre-prepared before he referred to this. And he was in Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur, and he was up at the top of the Petronas Towers. Maybe some of you have been there, have been fortunate enough to see that. And he had a photograph that was taken right at the bottom looking up and then he had a photograph at the top, and he was making the point that he was really terrified at the top because he had no idea that those huge, huge, really tall buildings swayed so much in the wind, and he could feel underneath him this whole building swaying. And if you were in this particular building here, one of the tallest in the world, you might have that same sense. And if you were standing at the top, at least I would wonder this, you would think, how is this thing staying up? How is this building staying in place? And of course, the answer is its foundations. That's why when, when building projects of huge big buildings take place, it is a long, long time before you actually see anything visible going up. We go to Edinburgh every year at the end of the the conference that my brother and I attend. And for years from the, the hotel that we stay in, we used to look out at all of the big cranes that were up in Edinburgh to build uh, the shopping center, the St. James's Quarter Shopping Center that John Lewis is a, is a flagship store in. And for years, it seemed like nothing happened. You walk past, you could see all of the cranes, you could see all of the workmen in place, but it just didn't seem to go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, it started to build up. But imagine if someone in their quest to make the tallest building in the world and to break that world record as quickly as possible said, no, we're going to do things differently. We're actually going to start from the top and work our way down. And if we could just get the spire or we could just get, you know, the top bit, the radio mast in place, then we will hold the world record. And if they were to try that, well, logic dictates it would be a disaster. That is not the way in which these big buildings go up from the top down. Now, I want you to keep that image, that picture in mind. As we think for a few moments about our world, as we think about the society that we are part of and that we live in, because we hear a lot of talk about culture wars, those divisions that exist in how people view the big issues of the day. And here are some of those big issues on the screen. You will be familiar with the big issues that are constantly debated and discussed. Maybe you get engaged in some of those discussions. Big issues like sexuality and gender, marriage and the nature of marriage, abortion, euthanasia, sometimes described as assisted suicide the whole issue of the environment and climate change. And to that list, you could add many other issues as well, such as animal rights. And what is it that determines what we think about these big issues? What is it that shapes the way in which we think about all of these things? Well, if you look at our culture and our society today, you'll see a number of different influences, a number of different factors that shape the way in which people think about and come to a view on these big issues. One approach 
can be described like this. One factor is what we would describe as situationism. In other words, my experience of life determines the way in which I look at something. And for so many people in our society today, that is the truth for them. That the way in which they experience life, the experiences that they live through determine how they approach all of these issues. Let me give you an example of that, a, a hypothetical example of that. So, there may be someone, and they believe, and they have actually a firm belief that marriage is only marriage if it is between a man and a woman. But then something changes because within their family circle, there is a man who, who, who says and announces that he is going to marry, quote unquote, another man. And suddenly for this person, their whole view of that situation changes because they say things like, well, I know him and I know this other guy here. They're really nice people, so that must be okay. That must be all right. And therefore, I've changed my mind, and I think that that's perfectly fine. So that for many people, how we view issues depends on our own experiences. Or another factor that can shape how we view these issues is peer pressure, in particular the influence of the media, so that you might well believe that certain things are right and that other things are wrong, but then every conversation that you have in work, every item that you watch on the news, every post that you view on social media, every interview with a celebrity that you watch or that you hear on a podcast, or on the radio, or read in a magazine, says the opposite. So that eventually you begin to think and wonder, well, maybe I'm actually wrong. I've got this wrong, and everybody else is right. Or another factor that can determine the views that people hold on these big issues of the day is the fear factor because after all, we hear a lot of talk about us living in a cancel culture. We're speaking up against the prevailing views on social issues can get you sidelined and despised. Just look at Graham Linehan, the, the writer of Father Ted, and how he has been shunned by the very liberal arts community that he was once so influential in because of the particular views that he has on gender identity. And you can think of lots of other examples of people being cancelled, academics, and, and prominent people. But for ordinary people like us, there may well be implications for us and our job security if we hold particular beliefs, if we express particular views that are contrary to what our employers espouse. And there I'm talking about all the big employers of the day, including the National Health Service. And so there is this temptation for us as individuals and even as churches to pivot in the way that we look about these big views of the day, these big issues, to conform 
to what are regarded as being the accepted truths of our time and our society, that over time we find that fear shifts the way in which we look at these things. Or one other cultural influence that can determine how we think on these issues, I've described as thramness. Now, I don't even know if thramness is a word, but you know what it is to be thran, or at least most of you will. And you see, for some of us, rather than being fearful, rather than being people who are, as we might see it, sheep who are easily influenced, we actually enjoy being in the minority because it appeals to our combative spirit. We're the kind of people who like a good fight. And so we hear all this talk about being woke. We hear all this talk about being politically correct. And it does our head in. And so our conclusion is, well, for me, I'll be the opposite. I am anti-woke. I am politically incorrect. And in some cases, in terms of where we stand on these big issues of the day, that can get us to the right place, but not for the right reasons. And it can also result in us being incredibly harsh and uncaring. For example, in how we might look at a young person who is having very real struggles with their sexual or their gender identity. So then, how do we decide what is right and what is wrong? How do we determine where we should stand on these big issues of our day? Well, let's return for a moment to that picture of the skyscraper. And you know, you instinctively know that you cannot build a skyscraper from the top down it isn't going to work. It needs the right foundations. And as we approach these big issues of the day, I certainly as a preacher face a demand from people to address these big issues in my preaching. In fact, some people say to me, Philip, why don't you do a series on these big issues? You know, you could do a sermon on sexuality, and you could do one on abortion and approach it like that. but we're going to do things the right way right. We're not going to start with the issue. We're going to start with the foundation. What has God determined? How do we know what God thinks and says about all of these huge issues? And the clear answer is we need to hear what God says in His Word, because please be sure of this, anything else is simply guesswork. When people say, the God that I believe in will do this, or the God that I believe in would be like that, and it's just their opinion, it counts for nothing. It is what God has revealed in His Word, His eternal Word. And so, therefore, we're going to look in the coming days, in the coming weeks, at the foundations of everything. No pressure it's not like we're taking on a big thing here. We're going to look at the foundations of everything. We're going to spend time in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, where we read about first the creation and then 
the fall of the world. And what we will discover is that everything, everything that we believe as Christians about all of these big issues of the day, our view on them is determined by the amazing things that we read in these opening three chapters of the Scriptures. So, we can say that these are foundational truths, and they are incredibly important chapters of Scripture. And so, with all of that in mind, in the short time that remains, for just a few moments, I want us to consider the first four words of the Bible. Found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, listen to these words again. In the beginning, God. I'll repeat those again. In the beginning, God. And I cannot emphasize enough just how significant a statement that is. I will go as far to say that that is the most significant statement in Scripture which is a big claim to make, given all that we are told in Scripture about Jesus and salvation and all of these key things, this is the most important statement in Scripture and in history. Dr. Jonathan Gibson, originally from this part of the world, now teaching in Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, says of these opening words of the Bible, he says, the statement is absolute and stands as the foundation and fountain of everything that will follow in the Bible storyline, so that all that we go on to read in Scripture is founded on and flows from these words. And in the coming weeks, as we go further into chapter 1, we're going to discover much more about the nature of creation. We're going to understand more about the, the origins of the universe and our world. But Scripture begins with God, and so must we. And if we look at these opening four words in the context of the whole of that first verse of the Bible, this is what we get to see. We get to see that the universe has a beginning. It has not always been. And we get to see that the Lord God proceeds. He comes before that universe, for He brought it into existence. So that what we can say of God today, in the light of those opening words of Scripture, is that He stands apart from His creation. He is separate from it. And we're going to think a bit more about that in a few moments, but it's so important that we grasp that, that God is separate from, He stands apart from His creation, that we can say of the Lord that He is outside of time and space, because He is the one who brought time and space into existence. And when we start to talk about time and space, and next week we'll throw a bit of matter into that as well, we realize we're getting into deep, deep stuff here. I mean, I was the guy who ran away from physics at school, so look, I'm not going to be the expert on some of that deep, deep stuff. This is deep, but I want this series to be practical. I want us to be able to apply these deep, deep truths 
to our everyday life. And part of that involves understanding some of the wrong views that there are of this world. It involves us consciously standing apart from those views and indeed challenging them based on what we know from Scripture. So, let's for a moment consider just a couple of the wrong views that exist about God and His creation. One of those wrong views you encounter a lot nowadays on social media and memes and stories, you hear it in interviews with Hollywood A-listers, where they replace God with the universe. Have you ever noticed that? How increasingly there are people, and in the statements they make, they replace God with the universe that He's made. I hear that from people. The universe has guided me to this point in my life. The universe has brought me to this new season or this new place. And we need to realize that that is a wrong way of looking at things. Or another wrong view, and that is that sometimes we hear people and they exalt and they worship nature. They rightly marvel at creation, but they attribute to it the glory that actually belongs to the Creator, to God. An example of that this week, I was watching Winter Watch, and I love those nature programs on TV, and I especially love Winter Watch and Spring Watch and Autumn Watch. But Chris Packham, the the, the main presenter of Winter Watch has a worldview that has no room for God. And introducing this series of Winter Watch at the start of this week, he said of the program, this is where we celebrate nature's masterpiece, not God's masterpiece. Notice the, the different language. This is where we celebrate nature's masterpiece. But we reading Scripture, being committed to Scripture, understand that the glories of this creation, the glory of creation, and there are so many wonders in this world and in this universe. When you see a heron fly down past you low, when you see little birds out on the bird feeders, when you look up on a clear night and you see the vastness of the stars, that is the glory of creation. It's amazing. But we understand that this glory of creation is, as Paul Tripp puts it, a big finger that is pointing to the much greater glory, the infinitely greater glory of the Creator, of God. The God who made it. And so we must be so careful in how we think and in the language that we use that we do not fall into that trap, trap of conflating the Creator and His creation, that we somehow think of them as being one and the same. So, don't fall into that trap of ever saying, oh, the universe has done this for me. Or when you're blessed with good weather, when you had good weather on a day of a wedding or something, wasn't Mother Nature kind to us? And of course, those who are God's people in Christ, 
one of the, the realities about what has happened in your life when by grace you become one of God's people in Christ is that you have had your heart opened to the truth about God. There is a spiritual blindness that has been completely removed from you so that you can see these realities, so that you can see God as He truly is, revealed in His Word. And you must be careful and courageous in how you talk about these things. Be quick to acknowledge that the wonders of creation are because of Him. They're because of the Creator God. And so today, what we have discovered in the opening four words of Genesis 1, and by the way, we will be moving faster through this in the coming weeks. We'll not still be doing this, you know, when I'm about to retire. We're going to move at speed. But what we have discovered in those opening four words of the Bible is that God is not part of His creation. He stands apart from it. And get that into your mind so clearly today. God stands apart from His creation. He is not part of it. And one of the greatest differences between the Creator, God, and His creation is that He is eternal while His creation is not. And we're going to think later on in this series what Scripture tells us elsewhere about the eternal nature of God. But one of the other things that we will learn in this series as we use these particular chapters as a springboard into the rest of Scripture is that this world not only has a beginning, it will have an end. And so let me finish by reading from 2 Peter chapter 3. In fact, if you've got your Bibles there in front of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, where Peter talks about the world's beginning and end. Let's just hear these words together in God's Word. And Peter writes in verse 3, above all, you must understand that in the last days, and by the way, the last days that that Peter is talking about there is the period of time between the first coming of Jesus, his incarnation, what it is that we were celebrating recently back in Christmas time, and the second coming of Jesus, what still lies ahead when Jesus will return to judge this world, which means that we are located in this time period of the last days. And Peter says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Talking about the return of Jesus. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But verse 5, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's Word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. Verse 6, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. There Peter is talking about what we then read further into the book of Genesis 
the, the story of Noah and the flood. And he says in verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So, as we finish, some foundational truths from Scripture. God and His kingdom are everlasting, and this world is not. And we, and we'll think a lot more about this in the coming weeks, we as humans, as people who have been made in God's image, we stand out from the rest of creation, including animals, in a number of ways. We'll think about those ways in some details, in detail in the coming weeks. But the principal way in which we stand out from the rest of creation is that we are immortal. Yes, we're subject to death, and we know all about the impact that death has, but death will not be the end of the story. We will not cease to exist. Our souls will live forever. Remember that we are like God. We are created in His image, but we are not the same as God. We are not eternal like Him because we had a beginning. God is without beginning, and He is without end. But we are unique within this creation. People, human beings, you here today, we are unique within creation because we are like God in that we will not cease to exist. And if we were to try and draw that on a timeline today, it would actually be impossible to do. Even if you put the timeline down to Kells Church, it would be impossible to do. Where God comes on that timeline, there isn't a timeline that is wide enough. He has always been, and He will forever be. Where the world comes in that timeline, there is a definite beginning and there is an end. And where you and I come in that timeline, there is a beginning, but we will go on into eternity, as Scripture tells us. And so, I guess as we finish right now, that actually rather than finishing by looking back to the beginning, we need to look forward to what lies ahead and to eternity, given all that we have discovered from God's Word today. And so, the question is, where and how will you spend eternity? And the answer to that question depends. It depends on the Lord Jesus and whether or not you look to Him, you trust in Him, you believe in Him. And if you do, then you look into eternity with real confidence, because God tells us in His Word of His people in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that nothing, nothing will separate us, will be able to separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ. Amen.